You're listening to the Ambition Incubator podcast, and I'm your host, Deirdre Morrison. My thing is helping people understand how our brains work so that we can be better and do better in any area of life that's important to us. So as well as bite-sized brain science, I'll be bringing you interviews and advice from experts and guests who specialize in working with entrepreneurs and leaders to help them explore potential, possibilities, and ways to be more effective. And the best bit? We can start right now. Okay, it's confession time. I was about halfway through this interview when I realized I was having the wrong conversation. Yes, I knew that my guest had written many books, and yes, I knew that he was a very skillful storyteller. I also knew that he had built a hugely successful business from scratch, and that his connections and meetings with famous and powerful people played a role in that. But what I didn't know about Clint Arthurs until he told me was how he walked away from writing for a whole nine years before coming full circle which, considering his new book is nominated for the Pulitzer Prize, does seem worth noting. Then it hit me that this was a perfect example of a hero's journey in the creative sphere. Look, I've seen this thing happen so many times. I've seen the people that I thought of as ridiculously creative and capable of anything let themselves be worn into submission and throw off their creative yearnings and talents for something more predictable, never to return to it. And what I love about this conversation is that it shows how determination and ambition but also a willingness to take a step back to right the ship and the ability to redirect creativity into something else for a while can bring about levels of success and fulfillment that really are the stuff of dreams. Clint Arthurs is a unique character for sure. Engaging and entertaining, he absolutely comes alive as a storyteller. So I invite you to enjoy this interview and maybe take away some of this man's infectious enthusiasm. Clint, thank you so much for joining me today. This uh, this is a conversation I've been looking forward to for quite a few weeks now. And um, I wonder if we could start with a little bit about your your new book. Um, first of all, it's, it's a fascinating title for a start, um, Wisdom of the Men. So I would love to know, who are the men? <laughs> just for, for a start, can you just give us a little bit about who they are and why their wisdom deserves a book? Wisdom of the Men came from my work with my men's team. A men's team is a group of guys who are all dedicated to each other's personal and professional and spiritual success. And I was part of a men's team for the better part of three years back in the mid to late aughts, as they are called. And that came as a result of taking a seminar called The Men's Weekend, And when I was on the men's team, I became the leader of the men. And we had a section of the meeting that was always called the wisdom of the men. I would say, is there any man who needs the wisdom of the men? Mm. And we would sit around in a circle. And in that special moment of the meetings, which were every week for three hours, in that special moment, I would feel a special kinetic electrical energy that transcended the time and space we were in, it felt like we were getting the wisdom of generations of men coming through us. That inspired me to want to write this book. And this book was intended to capture that same type of wisdom from generations of men. And I started writing down all the names of the men who had been in my life, who had made an impact on my life. And I had 
a lot. You know, my father, my grandfather, this coach, this boss, this guy, this teacher, all these people. And then as I was going through it, I realized if I only wrote about the men who were super famous, the Mick Jaggers and Mike Tysons and Dr. Oz and five presidents of the United States. And it's just, I've met a lot of really famous people, Andy Warhol and Halston and so many. If I only wrote about them, I figured I could get almost 400 pages and I thought that would be enough. And that's what I did. And these are the men, you know, the men are the men who are in the book and their names are mostly on the front cover. And they're all people who everyone knows. And uh, even a few women have made it in there, real superstar women, Oprah Winfrey, Hillary Clinton, Martha Stewart, Suzanne Summers, and Caitlyn Jenner are all in there as well. And those women are some special women who make special appearances in the book as well. And there yeah. you go. Yeah, I love this concept of... Um you know, the, this group, it's, it's almost, it, it has the feel of being somewhere between, um, from what you've described, somewhere between uh, Napoleon Hill's uh, sort of invisible council and also, you know, a very much needed social connection group. Is that, would that be a fair assessment? You know, I'm, I very much believe that the universe is full of messages and these messages have an energy of their own. I teach a seminar called Celebrity Launchpad, where authors, speakers, coaches, experts of all different kinds come to Celebrity Launchpad to learn how to make a difference and a fortune sharing your message on local TV. And I had this one woman come, and she said that her message was the message of a thousand-year-old tree. See what I'm saying? There yeah. are messages yeah. out there. and. You know, why, how come these messages came to me? How come I met all these people? Nigel Farage is another one. Dog the Bounty Hunter. You know, how come I've met Buzz Aldrin, who walked on the moon? General Russell Honore, who evacuated New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. Why did I meet all of these specific people over the years and not others? And why did I learn the things that I learned from them and not other things. I don't know. Mm. I just know that this is what has come into my life. And mm. I wanted to capture this, en this energy, these messages, and share them with the world. And that's the wisdom of the men. I, I absolutely agree with you that, you know, synchronicity and serendipity and so many things have such a, a fantastic way of guiding us, even when we're, we're not necessarily looking for guidance. We sometimes get these things and they just stop us in our tracks. And we just, you know, we're we're left in awe of of what we've just heard. What was what was the point at which you thought, you know, what this this has to be, this has to be combined and collated, this has to be preserved and shared? Is is there a, a tipping point at which you think, you know, what there's just there's too much, there's so much, it needs a, it needs to be spoken. Well, I've written a lot of books. Mm. And I write books for different reasons. Usually they're really commercially driven ideas that makes me want to write a book or there's something inside of me. Like one of my books I remember was called Speaking Game. Mm -hmm. And Speaking Game is all about the secrets that I've learned to have more impact, influence, and income as a speaker. And I wrote that book because 
I reached a certain point in my career where I felt I had something to offer and I could write a book and do justice to the topic. Now, this wisdom of the men idea came along after I had left the men's team, after I had been doing celebrity work for a while. And I, I just came up with the idea, wow, I should write this book. And I think where it came from was my creative writing teacher in high school, Frank McCourt, who grew up in Limerick, Ireland, and was impoverished beyond poverty. I mean, his level of poverty you've never heard before. And he won the Pulitzer Prize for his book about his impoverished childhood in Limerick. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to write a book that was as good as that. Because as many books as I've written, I've never written anything as ambitious as Frank McCourt's book, mm. Angela's Ashes. I wanted, I, I had the ambition to write a truly great book. And I looked at my life and I thought to myself, what could I write that would be something truly monumental? And combining the idea of wanting to write something substantial with the idea of all of these super famous people that I've met and all the great things that I've learned from them. I mean, this is basically a book about the smartest stuff that I've learned in my life from the smartest people in the world who've had the most impact and influence and income on the world. And that's what this book is really all about. And if it wasn't for my ambition to write something truly great, Mm -hmm. then this book would not be what it is. I really believe you have to have ambition to do something great. I don't think it just comes out of you automatically. I think mm -hmm. it, it, it has to be aspired to and targeted and gone after and planned out carefully. And at least all of those things came together for me in this project. Yeah, yeah. That burning desire with the incisive action. Absolutely. Yeah, so... If I were going to be cheeky, I would ask you if there was one piece of advice that you valued above all the rest um, that you've included in the book. Okay. In the book, I have asked most of the people in the book a question, which is, what's the most important thing you ever learned? And I think that's what you're referring to. And as far as the advice that I've gotten from people, when I met Mick Jagger, I said, Sir Mick, what's the most important thing you ever learned? He said... You can't always get what you want, but if you try, sometimes you might find you get what you need. And I know it's just a line from a song, <laughs> but he's Mick Jagger and he can say anything he wants. But also on top of that, I think that's the most important thing that I've learned from others. I've, mm. I have my own thing that I've learned in my life and that I've developed as a concept. But in terms of from all the people in the book, what did I, what was the most important thing I learned? I think that's right up there. I mean, there's so many great ones, you know, even... President George H.W. Bush, I asked him that question and he said, well, that's a very big question, young man, but I suppose you have to keep doing the things that you love in your life. I think that's a really important lesson as well, yeah. especially in today's day and age where so many mm -hmm. people are telling me, I'm not traveling until the pandemic is over. I'm not going out of the country until the wars have settled down. So many people are not doing things today. They're not trying to get what they want, let alone what they need. And I think this is a tremendous disservice to life 
and liberty mm-hmm. and the pursuit of happiness that people are doing to their own selves. Yeah, we do tend to limit ourselves, don't we? We we fall into that below the line energy. We spiral down into fear and hopelessness and it doesn't ever seem like we can get out again. Um, and yeah, going for those things that we want, that, that's just a, a way to bring us back into that space of innovating and engaging, I guess. Clint, I know that writing books is not all that you do. And I'm I'm also really curious about this. You, you seem actually somebody I was talking to recently described you um, a, as a master of positioning. Can you tell me a little bit about how you do that and how you help other people do that? Positioning is a, a marketing tool that you can use in your personal life, in your professional life. And really, it's about how others see you. Mm. Now, the first, the first tool of positioning is your headshot. The, your, your number one marketing tool for your whole life is your headshot. Most people will see a headshot of you before they see anything else. You can call this your profile photo on social media. Whatever, mm. whatever is your picture of your face that is going to be your primary positioning tool that most people are going to begin with. And, you know, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Mm. That's positioning. Because once a person has a a certain impression of you, that's what they've got. Now, I use a lot of different tools in positioning myself as somebody who people are excited to pay a lot of money to. It didn't know, mm-hmm. and I'm so grateful to have this in my life. I mean, the life that I'm living right now, it, it would have been inconceivable to me when I was chasing the Hollywood dream for 13 years, living off credit cards, stacking one on top of another for the first seven years, and then driving yellow cab number 6087 in Los Angeles for six years. I was stuck behind the wheel of a taxi, terrified that I was never going to be able to dig myself out of that ditch that I had dug for my life. And to think that I am where I am now, where I'm promoting my Pulitzer Prize winning book. See, on New Year's Eve of the millennium, what were you doing? Were you getting some Y2K cash out of an ATM? Were you partying with family and friends? I was behind the <laughs> wheel of that cab. And, and in, in the backseat of my cab that night were these two guys who were MBA interns at Goldman Sachs. And I was listening in on their conversation. One of them goes, hey, did you hear about Mr. Carrera? They made him the last partner right before the Goldman IPO and he cashed out a gazillion dollars. And I'm like, are you guys talking about Chris Carrera? They're like, how do you know Mr. Carrera? Chris Carrera was a <laughs> pledge in my fraternity. When I was the pledge master, I used to make those little punks dance around the living room of the house with their tidy whities on top of their heads. And now this kid cashed out a gazillion dollars from an initial public offering of stock of Goldman Sachs. And I'm driving these punks to a party. That night, I go home to my little boat in Marina del Rey, where I'm living. Sounds romantic, but it's the cheapest way to survive in L.A., $282 a month. There's no heat on the boat. There's no water. There's no toilet. It's basically camping on a boat. I'm counting up my money. $500. Where was Chris Carrera tonight partying at the Rainbow Room? I was supposed to be somebody special too. And that was the night I said, that's it. I've written 30 screenplays. I've written 10 books. 
One of my books was the big book of the summer for Penguin USA in 1995, and I'm driving a cab for six years. I can't keep throwing my life away like this anymore. And I quit writing. And I didn't write another word for almost nine years. So to think that I'm here promoting a book that is nominated for the Pulitzer Prize is really quite astounding to me. And that that book is about my experiences of how I went from being a taxi driver to working with international superstars and five presidents of the United States. And that I've made millions of dollars a year for the last nine years or so as a writer and a speaker Mm -hmm. and a coach. I'm so grateful for all of that especially the writing part, because at my heart, at my base, I am a writer. And Mm. to be able to earn not just a living, but a thriving from being a writer is, is truly a gift. And I'm so grateful I've figured out how to do it. And that's what I, that's part of what I wanted to share in this book. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really interesting actually, because, um, I, interview quite a few people who are creative professionals and you know this is what they do day in day out but talking to you about this now it's you know that this this creative urge that you clearly have had for pretty much all your life it sounds like and then to have walked away and found your way back to it I mean that's something quite special I think as well again I guess this is this is always the question what brought you back well in October of 2008 you know what was going on in the world. It was disintegrating, the financial crisis. And I, I had quit my men's team also. I, I, I took the seminar, the men's weekend, then I did the training program of how to be a man on a team. That's a special training program you have to do. And I went to one meeting of the team and I thought the guys on the team were such losers that I just quit. Well, it came to be October of 2008 and I went back to the men. I went to a division meeting. The division is made up of many teams. And I said, I'm looking for support in my life and I want to be on a team. And I went to the men's team. And then at a subsequent meeting, I was one of the 18 naked guys dancing around the campfire. And I looked across the yellow and orange crackling flames and I saw the shaman pointing at me. You don't know it yet, but you're already (laughs) dead. And I said, what are you talking about, man? I'm the most successful guy on this team. Eight years ago, I was driving a cab. Now I'm a millionaire. I was living on a little boat. Now I live in a mansion. You're already dead. You just don't know it. And I didn't know what he was talking about. I couldn't stop thinking about it. For months, I'd wake out of a sound sleep. I'm already dead. What does he mean? And it came to be New Year's Day of 2009. And I poured myself a mimosa and pulled out a pad and a pen to write down my list of goals for the year, as I had become accustomed to doing once I became successful as a businessman, instead of trying to be a writer. And Mm -hmm. that year, I asked myself a question that really changed my whole entire life. I said, what if that guy is right? What if I'm already dead? I don't really know what that means, but what if... What if this was going to be the last year of my life? What would I want to accomplish this year? And I was really shocked when I wrote down on the list at the number one spot. Number one, I have to write my book about what I learned at the Wharton Business School that helped me to become successful 
as a businessman, once I quit trying to be a writer, filmmaker, movie star in Hollywood. And I hadn't written anything in more than eight years. And I wrote that book in just a few days. And then I self-published it on Amazon and waited for the sales to roll in. And oh boy, did all eight of those sales roll in that first year. And that's when I started learning how to sell books, which led me to becoming a speaker and a coach and really led me to the success in my life. Because what I've learned is that most people, most writers don't make a lot of money from selling books. But if you can figure out how to make money from the book, like I say to my TV clients, I say, you are not going to get paid a lot of money to go on TV. Most of the appearances we do on news and talk shows, you don't get paid at all. But you will make a lot of money because you're on TV. And it's, it's pretty much the same thing with writing books. You don't make a lot of money from the book, but you make a lot of money because of the book. And that's <laughs> definitely part of what's going on right here. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it becomes, um, uh, what do they call it? An intellectual asset uh, or a calling yeah. card. Well, it, it's more than a calling card. It's, it's authority. And it's mm. a demonstration of your true mastery. And I, I really say to all experts, if you haven't written a book about your topic, you're not committed enough to what you're doing. And you may not even have enough real authority as an expert in your subject matter to write the book. Writing the book actually makes you better at your subject matter. It's really an amazing thing. Yeah, I guess it's it's like, you know, doing your degree, doing your master's, whatever. You write a thesis, don't you, to show that you have actually, you, you've got the, the, the subject down, you know your, you, you know your material. So I suppose writing a book isn't that far off that, is it? It makes you better at what you're doing. I, you know, I said in the book, I, I, I talk a lot about my life in this book, even though this book is the wisdom of the men, this book is also mm. my collected wisdom from my life, the things that I've learned. And one of the things I've learned is that certain experiences in life will change you. When mm. my baby's mama kicked me out of the house, told me I was no good, she'd be better off without me, that changed my life. That changed me as a person. And mm. that's the kind of thing that happened with writing books. And certainly writing Wisdom of the Men changed me a lot because I was intimidated by this book for seven years. I didn't think I could do it. And it was only once I visited Venice, Italy. My wife and I had hosted a conference at Carnegie Hall in New York City with Martha Stewart, Ice T. Uh, Jerry from Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream was one of my speakers. Michael Gerber, who wrote The E-Myth, the big entrepreneurial book, was a speaker. Mm -hmm. I had the editor-in-chief of the National Enquirer newspaper, which is a very entrepreneurial venture. And I spoke at Carnegie Hall as well, amongst others. And after that, we went on a celebratory tour of Europe. And mm -hmm. that included that included going to Venice, Italy. And when I first sailed up the Grand Canal in a water taxi and saw the ingenuity of all these buildings rising up out of the ocean, out of the lagoon, and the architecture, the creative genius of that city. I was so inspired and I really felt if I could go back to Venice and spend enough time in Venice that the 
city itself would inspire me to be able to write a great enough book that would do justice to the title and the ambition of writing The Wisdom of the Men. And I, it took me almost almost two years in order to be able to get back to Venice, Italy. But I waited and I did it. And we spent two weeks at the top hotel in Venice. And every morning I would go out and talk and dictate into my iPhone and tell the stories that make up the book. The whole book is just stories from my life. And I told mm -hmm. all those stories and that's how I wrote the book. And I, a total of 10 days in Venice was spent writing that book. Hmm. So Venice worked its charms and the magic in the, in the atmosphere then helped to catalyze the book for you. So Clint, that is, it, it's, it, it sounds like quite a journey. I'm guessing it's not done yet. I'm, I, it doesn't sound like this is um, the, the end of the line for your creativity, for your writing, for your endeavors. W what else is brewing, for want of a better word? Well, I say there are, th I, I do writing seminars too, you know, like mm. we spend most of our time, we came down to Acapulco, Mexico to transform two weeks to slow the spread from being quarantined in an apartment in Midtown Manhattan to a vacation in our favorite resort destination. And that ended up being four and a half months in Acapulco, Mexico. And at mm -hmm. the end of that time, we had bought a villa, a pretty huge, actually, mansion, And we host a lot of seminars there. And one of my mm -hmm. favorite seminars I do is about storytelling and another one I do where people actually come and write their books. And I say there's three kinds of books that a writer writes. The first kind of book is a book about your life. You know, it's like it could be your business biography. This is a very important book mm -hmm. for anybody who's an expert is to write about what makes you the expert at what you do. How did you get to be that person? The second kind of book you can write is a book about what you do, like your process of how you do your expert thing. And the third kind of book is, I'm sorry, there's four books. And the third kind of book is like your grand life masterpiece. That was Wisdom of the Men. And the fourth kind of book is when you are a writer and you just write to write. Now, I've written a lot of books and, and a lot of experts come out with books a lot because it's great marketing. I think I'm going to be evolving into writing books that are novels. I'm, mm. I'm looking forward to writing a book about uh, like a private eye in Acapulco, Mexico in the 1970s and 80s. You know, like this is like work that I do because I'm a writer. Yeah. So I hope that that answers that question. It sure does. And I have to tell you, I am a sucker for a detective uh, novel. All my all my fiction reservations aside, I am a sucker for a good detective. <laughs> I know, right? I, I mean, <laughs> Acapulco is so romantic anyway. But, you know, I first discovered Acapulco when I came here at the end of the 1980s. I was dating this girl whose father was a movie producer. He produced a few movies you might have heard of. Platoon. Falling Down, The Fugitive, The Devil's Advocate, Seven, Eraser. These are all some of his little movies that he produced. Mm. And they brought, me, they brought me here to Acapulco for Christmas vacation when I was dating her. And that's when I fell in love with this city. And 
I'm I'm really excited to try to like invent some great mystery stories set in Acapulco a little bit earlier than when I got here. Okay, well, you can definitely put me on the mailing list for that one. <laughs> I, will, I will break my my fictional exile to come and read that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, Clint, look, this has been fascinating, and I am really grateful to you for taking the time to have this conversation. Um, it's it's been uh, a far more broad ranging talk than I <laughs> initially expected it to be. So, thank you for going with me on that. Um, is there anything that you want to uh, share as a parting shot before we close up? People ask me, what's the most important thing you ever learned? Because that's the question I ask the other people. And the most important thing I've ever learned is that who you are is the most important thing. And who you are is made up of all your experiences and wisdom and knowledge. And what I've really tried to do with Wisdom of the Men is to encapsulate everything about who I am into one book Mm -hmm. so that other people could absorb that into their own life. So I really encourage you, if you want to take a a fast track to becoming more, to being more, doing more and having more, check out Wisdom of the Men. It's on Amazon. As an audible version of the book, it's really, really good. I I did the audio. That's part of my process is that my, my final draft of revising the work is recording the audible version. So that if there's anything that's rough in the text, I'll smooth it out as I'm speaking it. And I love that audible version. It's really great. And I don't know about you, but I I always have too many audible credits that I can't seem to get rid of. So I encourage anybody. You have too many audible credits? They have cut me off. (laughs) I can't get any more audible credits. Yeah, no, Audible is, I love Audible. Absolutely. Totally recommend that. And always the author read book is far superior to anything else that you can get. So, so agree. That's why I read all my own Audibles. Wonderful. Listen, thank you so much, Clint. I'm going to stop this now and I'll see you on the other side. All righty. You're still here? Great. Look, I know there's a lot to choose from out there, so thanks for flying with Ambition Incubator Airlines, and I look forward to seeing you on board again soon. Seriously, though, thank you for tuning in. My guests and I love hearing about what inspires you on the show and what advice has made a difference in your life or work and what you'd like more of. So get in touch. If you want to know about my other work, head over to ambitionincubator.com for details. And don't forget to hit subscribe for more great interviews, advice, and bite-sized brain science every week. Bye.